And that's how the main character in the original Avatar movie woke up to find out that he's in control of a blue-skinned alien body, also known as an Avatar. Now, Oscar-winning filmmaker James Cameron is coming out with a sequel called Avatar The Way of Water. But that's not the only reason why avatars are in the spotlight. Millions of dollars in prizes were recently awarded to teams who are working on experimental avatars, that is, mobile robots that can be linked up remotely with a human controller. How long will it be before avatars make the move from science fiction to reality? Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. Join me as I chat about the rise of the avatars with Jackie Mori, the technical lead for the Avatar X Prize, and with members of Team Northeastern, one of the top finishers in the Avatar competition. It's been 13 years since James Cameron's original Avatar movie came out, and the buzz about the sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, is that it's more spectacular and more expensive than the first movie. But the premise is basically the same, with humans taking on the form of a peaceful alien species called the Navi. These blue-skinned bodies, which are operated by minds that are all too human, are called avatars, which provides a new connotation for a term that's as old as Hinduism and as new as social media. The Avatar X Prize explored a scenario that's similar, but less science fiction-y than the movie. What if we could design robots that humans could operate remotely to explore and interact with environments ranging from underwater work sites to the red plains of Mars? Scores of teams from around the world entered the Avatar competition, and the finals were conducted with remote-controlled robots at a convention center in Long Beach in November. Teams from Germany and France won the top two prizes, which were worth $4 million and $2 million, respectively. The million-dollar third prize went to Team Northeastern, which is based at Northeastern University in Boston. In honor of the Avatar sequel and the Avatar X Prize, this episode of Fiction Science is a doubleheader. First, we'll hear from Jackie Mori, a pioneer in the field of virtual reality research who advised the XPRIZE organizers on technical issues. Then we'll chat with Team Northeastern about the parallels between the science fiction world of the Avatar movies and the real-world possibilities for Avatar technology. To set the stage, I asked Jackie Mori for her definition of an Avatar. Well, I think it is some way that we use to put ourselves out there, maybe beyond our physical self. And certainly there's been a lot of digital avatars over the years. So we've, we've got all of that rich history going back to about 1985 with the Habitat virtual world. And that was probably the first time the word avatar was used in the context of digital avatars. So we've had this rich history. And what was always missing was the physicality. So if we want to send our sense of presence somewhere else, 
We get a lot of it through digital means, but we don't get that physicality. And so what we're looking at with the Avatar X Prize and new forms of avatars is that physicality. Do you see examples of that already? I know that with the XPRIZE, you had people basically developing these technologies in the lab, but are they manifested in the outside world already? And how might that evolve as the years go by? They're certainly starting to be manifest, maybe not with all of our senses, but our vision and our hearing can certainly be brought somewhere else. I mean, look at uh, look at the little beam kinds of things or what A&A has in their, uh, their new form of that. So we can take those senses. It's the ones that take us into the more embodied nature that we're sort of at the very beginning stages of technology coming in. So that's what we're pushing. We want to get those other senses in. So we had haptics in this uh, in this competition, and we really would like to have more, like even smells. So that physicality can be more attuned to what we experience day to day as a human being. So you've mentioned a lot of interesting concepts in the last 30 seconds, and I wanted to unpack that a little bit. For example, beam robots, the idea that you have this little robot on wheels running around with a screen on it, and uh, people can interact with that screen. Uh, and you mentioned the ANA manifestation of that, which I'm not familiar with. So I'd like to ask you to explain that a little bit. So the ANA company has a subsidiary called Avatar In. And if you go to the Avatar Insight, you will see these sort of very cute versions of those uh, telepresence robots that are just uh, visual and audio. And that is part of their business model just starting out. I forgot the name of the actual um, device, but it's it's very cute and um, very practical for the kinds of things that we expect of, of that just AV kind of robot. So it's a first step. You know, this competition is pushing for more functionality, uh, better ease of use. You know, certainly with Zoom, we're, we're used to being telepresent in some way. And we really, until this pandemic, didn't know how much we needed this other aspect, this physicality. So in some ways, the pandemic showed us how much this technology could be valuable to us as humans. And so now we just have to develop it. And you mentioned haptics. That's the idea that you would be able to transmit a sense of touch that, for example, there might be a robot who reaches out and and uh, grabs an orange and then you're outfitted with a glove and you can feel the sensation of grabbing that orange. How was that done for the X Prize, and how do you expect it to be done in the outside world? We're certainly seeing a lot of haptics advances coming out, and the glove is one way. And the one thing about haptics is it's not just one sensation. So you know we have many kinds of haptics in our in our skin, if you will. You know we have the touch of your fingertips. We have what a stroke would be like, what a hug would be like, pressure, um, temperature, all of these different things. Because it's such a complex system haptics for our bodies, we really looked at only one aspect of it for the competition. And that was, how do we convey texture back to the person who is operating this robotic avatar? 
haptics tends not to be two-way because we don't usually have an operator at one end inhabiting this robotic avatar. But we've really pushed that. So the last task in the finals competition was for the uh, operator through the avatar robot to reach in a place where they really couldn't see, but they, with the sense of touch alone, they had to determine which of the rocks in there were the really bumpy textured rocks, Mm -hmm. the energy abundance rocks, and then retrieve that one and show it to the audience. And that was challenging. Not all teams really could do that. Till the very end, teams wanted to do it visually. And we really tried to take the visual component out of it because we do know a lot about haptics from our visual sense. But it, it was that sense of touch that we were really trying to hone in on. Were there some innovations that people came up with for the contest that surprised you or any other highlights that made you go, hmm? There were so many different form factors for these robots. And what we learned was we had semifinals back in September of 2021. And for that, we learned that it was kind of important for these avatars to have a face of some kind. Some of them didn't for semifinals. But for that human-to-human connection, a face is kind of critical. We want to see what that person we're interacting with is responding to us. Um, The other thing we learned is that for this particular purpose, these avatars didn't have to have a complete human form. They didn't need legs. They, They could do very well just on a kind of a motion platform base. The big thing that we learned throughout this competition was that for the person operating the avatar, there has to be a very low cognitive load. They can't be having to think about every single thing they're doing. So that cognitive load that an operator who's inhabiting an avatar has really sets the stage for whether they feel like they're really there or they feel like they're operating some device, because if they have to think about every little thing, then they're, they're losing that sense of presence at a distance. And we found that was true. The winning teams for the finals all had a very low cognitive load for the operator. They didn't have to wonder every time they wanted to do something, you know, where was that button? Where was that particular finger? What was that? So the other thing was the fatigue factor. So the winning team had a system. It didn't look very human, but it had arms. But when the operator was in it, it was almost weightless. They said it was almost weightless. So they didn't have to worry about operating these big, massive arms and getting their muscles fatigued. So that was a real interesting thing for us that uh, I don't think some of the teams realize. Mm-hmm. So now the competition is over. The winners have been announced. What's next? The idea of the X Prize is to promote the development of these innovations and then to bring them out into the world. Do you step back and just kind of let the free market do what it does? Or how does this become translated into technologies that actually do benefit the wider world? We are at such beginning stages for this technology that I think it would be great if we had a a second competition. So we learned so much from this one. And with all those lessons learned, 
we can do things in the next competition that push the technology even further. And I think it's going to need that kind of push to really serve mankind, if you will. Uh, One of the things that we learned is you don't have to have the person operating the avatar do every little thing. What if we include some artificial intelligence in there so that you can say, I want to go to the drill and you can go to the drill instead of like, I have to take a step, a step, a step, a step, a step, or I have to wheel my base there. I can pick up the drill. Maybe there's an AI program that tells them how to pick up and grasp the drill so that they don't have to go, which fingers are getting right to that drill button. So we have not really put that kind of technology into it. The other thing that we could put in is some brain computer interfaces. And that was not even touched. We, we kind of promoted it from the beginning, but as far as we could see, no team actually did that. So the big challenge for this prize was integrating a lot of technologies that had not been integrated before. Robotics, when we started this prize, was about autonomous robots. It wasn't about robots that a person was controlling. So that was a huge shift. And it took us a while to get the robotics community to realize that. I mean, there were, there were some small groups that were doing it. But overall, it was all about autonomous robots. You've probably heard more about them than anything else. Mm-hmm. This ability for a human to inhabit an avatar robot was pretty new and very challenging. What are the first applications that we might see for this new level of avatar technology? Uh, I guess, arguably, there are some things, you know, some little toy robots that you can control. But when we're talking about the sort of avatar telepresence that was furthered by the X Prize, that's another level entirely. One of the applications that is actually being tested in Japan right now is for people with limited uh, mobility, with with physical problems, to actually inhabit one of these robotic avatars to serve people in cafes. So people don't realize that this is a person with limited mobility who is actually behind that robot serving them in the cafe. So that's a really interesting one to me because... You're giving people that don't have full control of their physical being a way to really get past that, get beyond that, and be a a very productive member of society. Now, certainly also in Japan with an aging population, and we're all going to be there soon, having caregivers where you can help get those people who are in their uh, elder years get them the kind of care they need. And if you can get that through a family member or a specialist care provider through these avatar robots, that's going to be another very big vertical for this industry. Beyond that, you know, we're looking at the future where you can you can take your vacations in the tropics and feel the sand in your fingers and smell the ocean, but that's going to be a ways out. So I think we're really looking at these more practical applications right now. You know, can that avatar robot help pick up someone that I couldn't pick up, uh, you know, to get them into bed? And can I make sure that my visit to my elderly grandparent uh, is, is something where they feel like I'm there, you know, that just, or a parent uh, reading a story to their child and being able to hug them. So we're not there on all of that yet, but we've got a couple of examples that are beginning to show 
what might be possible. It's interesting that you mentioned the idea of uh, using avatar technology to facilitate interactions for people with mobility issues, because in the Avatar movie, of course, uh, the main character has just that situation where he is a disabled veteran, and yet they need him to go into this mission, and it's liberating for him to be in this Avatar, even though it's an alien body that he's inhabiting. The theme for the Avatar movies is using bio-robotic avatars to facilitate space exploration and sometimes exploitation. Are there particular applications that could be used for real-life space exploration when you're talking about avatars? Absolutely. You know, being able to control an avatar in a a situation where you couldn't be there physically uh, is going to be one of the main uses. Now, we have to get past the, the... lag from the distance. But if we can use predictive AI algorithms, then we might be able to do that, you know, sort of these dead reckoning kinds of things. So we kind of know where we're going. That AI becomes a very big component of that. So absolutely, we're going to do that. Will we have these bio ones? Nah, probably not for a while. And probably for for a very dangerous location, you don't want the bio because the bio is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to have that flesh and blood avatar. We want something that's a little more permanent and a little um, solid for that kind of environment. So, you know, back in the 80s, NASA Ames did some of the first telerobotics experiments where someone had a VR headset on and they controlled a robotic arm on the space station from the ground. And that was the beginning of it. You weren't an avatar, but you were controlling something at a distance. And so this dream of telepresence, of teleexistence has been around for a long time since the early 80s. Certainly experts in Japan, NASA, a lot of people have had their eye on this dream. And in fact, I think the Japanese Space Agency has been trying to pursue some of these uh, projects in collaboration with the folks behind the Avatar X Prize. Uh, I know at one time there was even talk about establishing a research facility in Japan to follow up on uh, telepresence. I, I don't know if you could provide any update on that, or is this something that's of particular interest to the Japanese Space Agency? I think the pandemic kind of got in the way of some of those plans, but Japan has this uh, this sort of national thing called the moonshot, and the moonshot has several different moving parts. David Locke on this prize has been uh, working with them. So part of it is to have these avatars in there, and um, it's one of the one of the topic areas of the moonshot. So they're they're picking it up again. And I think, you know, now that we're on the other side of the pandemic, hopefully uh, we can see some progress there. Well, I'm sorry to hear that the type of bio-robotic avatars that we see in the Avatar movies are not in the cards. But looking beyond the Avatar movies, are there any science fiction books or movies that do a great job or maybe even a horrible job of showing how telepresence could work? Well, certainly we can count on science fiction to give us give us endless vistas of dystopia. So um, that's that's been happening. But I do think, you know, it's in the cards. We're just not in the right century for it. So I I envision I wrote a little story once about um, these robots that would 
access your DNA and have synthetic skins that would coat them so they looked like you. And everybody would update their databases so that they could have the the latest of what they looked like so they would be comforting to the person on the other side. And look at all the advances we're doing with DNA and synthetic skin and these kinds of things. We may be at the very, very beginning stages, but I think in 100 years, we're going to be just absolutely astounded by what we can do. So I I hope that there are more science fiction writers that take up this idea. Right now, it's all been autonomous robots. It's all been evil robots. It's all been uh, not the kind of robots we want to pal around with. But, you know, hopefully we get some of these stories. Certainly the Avatar movies are a much more positive way of looking at these avatars. Well, I hope we'll be able to link to your story from our report, because I'd love to read that story. If you can speculate on what that world might look like a hundred years from now, what would it look like? Uh, Maybe you can give a synopsis of the story or update your story in light of recent developments. I will send you those little stories. But in a hundred years, I'm hoping we have less planes in the sky. You know, we've been able to handle some of the climate issues that all of this technology has brought because we're at this sort of inflection point now where we know what technology has been good for us and which has been bad. I think the avatar technology, as we've been talking about it, and as it can progress to whatever phase it is 100 years from now, will help us connect all over the planet without some of this overhead. So less planes in the sky, more more uh, palling around with our, our friends and relatives via avatars. That sounds like a wonderful vision for the year 2122. But what's the view from the avatar workshop of today? The second half of our doubleheader explores the current state of Avatar technology with Team Northeastern, which was the top U.S. finisher in the Avatar XPRIZE competition and won the $1 million third prize. You'll hear from three students on the team, David Nguyen, Henry Main, and Ray Lowe, plus one of the faculty advisors, Tashkin Potter. David started off the conversation by comparing the avatars in the Avatar movies with the avatars in the Avatar X Prize. One really big difference between the avatars in the movie and the avatars that we've been building is that we've been developing this technology through robots. And so we're sort of melding the technology of robots and humans and allowing for that human intelligence to be exemplified through robots and allowing you to transport your presence somewhere else. So that's one big difference between that and the movie. The, the biggest difference is Hollywood is usually 50 years ahead of the technology of today. So, uh, you know, some of the things that you will see in the movie um, is not within reach yet uh, in terms of the technologies being ready. The Avatar in the Avatar movies uh, is basically a biological placeholder, sort of. At least that's the way it starts out in the movie. Whereas... What you're dealing with are strictly machines. It's not anything having to do with the biology. It's biomimetic, but it's not using biological components. Is that the way that you might see things developing over the next 50 years? Is it going to be purely a mechanical robot, or will there be some biological aspects to it? Or do you wish that there were some biological aspects to it? Would that make it easier? One of the rules of the X Prize, when they were like briefing us on the rules of the competition, 
they had mentioned that uh, like brain interfaces were like allowed to be used. So that's definitely like a technology that exists today. Uh, maybe it's just not where it needs to be for us to utilize it. But yeah, for right now, like we're strictly like coupling mechanically to the body and not interfacing with like the user's mind. But I could see it being a possibility in the future. And that would definitely help because there's a lot of limitations with coupling to the body because say you don't have functionality in one of your arms, it would be useful if you could still control the avatar without that arm. And that's where like the real good uh, use cases for avatars start coming in. Yeah, there's there's two real avenues to be able to embody these robots or avatars. And the one, like Hank is saying, is basically this mechanism that you're wearing that basically makes you feel everything physically and experience everything true to your body. And then the other one is basically the avatar movie route where you are experiencing everything through your mind, through some sort of neural link. And I think it really depends on where technology moves. You know, Elon Musk is doing some cool things with uh, with chips and brains and whatnot. So if that advances, possibly we could see avatars connected through that way. But a lot of the teams that competed um, in November used this sort of mechanical link that allowed you to experience it with your own body. There is research that's ongoing within the robotics community that's looking at biological systems and learning from the uh, nature and try to replicate it um, in systems. Uh, are there particular challenges that you had to find new innovations to solve in order to have the sort of control of a robotic avatar that would be natural for someone who is performing the same tasks in the flesh, so to speak? Uh, I think one, one very critical missing link, uh, basically, mentioned in the avatar movies how the connection is established like uh in reality we use net uh, like ethernet cable or wi-fi signals or more fancier uh, communication protocol like 5g or even 6g but all of this kind of uh networking uh, technology we are having right now cannot achieve low latency as what we see in the movies Especially if it's wireless, there'll be a huge challenge to make that happen. But this is this kind of like fundamental infrastructure is something we definitely need to improve to make uh, avatar technology possible, I think. You can see in the movie, at least the first one, there's a big emphasis when the main character is first getting into his avatar, where there's a big emphasis on control of limbs and touch. And that's one area that our team really focused on, especially for the finals competition, where Everything was very skill-based. So you had to either pick up drills, pick up water bottles, all these things that had to do with tactile and arm movement. And so we really focused on surpassing the hurdle of transferring that sense of touch. And so there were all kinds of innovations that happened over the course of years of, of research that allowed us to transfer the touch from the robot side using all these different special hydrostatic actuators to the user using that same technology to their fingers to allow them to experience touch and force feedback as well as experience that, experiencing that through their arms and other parts of their body. So where does the project go from here? I assume this was a school project, but are you doing things to take this research to the next level? As far as like advancing our current avatar system, like many things can be done, like adding more degrees of freedom in the fingers um, and also, you know, adding more 
haptics for your actual arm movements rather than focusing a lot on the fingers. And then even, you know, torso movement haptics, like th things like that, you could just increase the degrees of freedom of the system by a lot. And I think the experience would get better. Uh, and then uh, also, you know, like adding like kind of like a VR style display to add like depth perception and immersion could be on the horizon. In robotics, you know, in terms of machines, when you look at the systems, there are still grand challenges that we are working on in the research field. Um, safe navigation in human environments for machines, uh, dexterous manipulation, um, human human robot interaction, right? So if you look at our operator uh, unit, you know, the, the cockpit, uh, there's still challenges there. So for the future of the project, uh, I, I mentioned this often, uh, a project in a research lab never ends, right? So as, as outlined, there will be a lot of problems that we are going to continue to look at. Uh, but in the long run, if the team uh, members um, find opportunities to commercialize pieces of it, that's definitely also also on the table. We didn't have extensive experience with telepresence robotics or um, that sort of technology. And now that we have this extensive experience over the past eight months, five years, depending on how we've been involved in the project, now we have, have all this knowledge and whether we're staying at Northeastern, graduating, going other places, going to other companies, we can bring that experience of XPRIZE and the experience in telepresence robotics to other companies and in other places and help advance that field in the future. Now that you've been through the prize competition, can you envision what the best applications for this technology would be, whether it's to travel to distant places or enabling people with limited mobility to do things that they otherwise couldn't do? Where do you see the real world applications going for this sort of technology? I, I definitely think the XPRIZE people had this vision, and I think it, it, it seems like it makes sense that avatars would probably be first to be deployed in space uh, missions. And I think this is because like, it's very risky to send an astronaut outside of a space station, outside of a moon base, or even into space in the first place. So if you could have that astronaut experience and have, uh, have, to, um, have the ability to transfer your skills to the outside of your vessel, it could be really useful in setting up, say, like a moon base or something. So you could have an avatar controller on a space station and then you could have an avatar on the moon and then you wouldn't have to waste resources or or risk losing your astronaut while you're setting up a base. Uh, and there was a lot of people at the XPRIZE conference that uh, were interested in that use case. To generalize that further, there's, you know, any scenario where you'd want to send somebody, but it might be too expensive or dangerous for that person to go. That's a really good application for avatars because you're able to have that presence there without actually having your body there. So, you know, this avatar could be out somewhere doing some dangerous work and get completely smushed by a boulder or something. And then whoever's using it is completely fine, but you still get that skill transfer, that human intelligence, which, you know, robotics AI isn't quite there and can't really compete with the human brain yet. And another popular area of using this such teleoperation system is like uh, surgery, right? For for, for for doctors, you you would probably use want to use such uh, tele system to do like complex surgeries for, for patients in different places. So it sounds as if the Avatar movie wasn't that far off the right track. Is this a case of life imitating art? I recently rewatched the Avatar movie and I was surprised how similar some of the things they were talking about in their work to the work that we were doing. 
And I think it's funny because we didn't necessarily have the Avatar movie in mind while we were developing the Avatar robot, but it just happened to come about in kind of like a similar way in the movie. So maybe James Cameron saw into the future. Yeah, I think it's a testament to the amazing creative vision of the the creators of the Avatar films, because like Hank said, there are so many different aspects of what we made and the movies that that line up for example you know in the very first movie when he first gets into his avatar body one of the scientists next to him is is also in their body and, and tapping their fingers together and that's the exact same training procedure that we use to actually get our operators used to their new hands on the avatar robot and other things like that are are so similar and i think it's just amazing to see all of those little scenes and all those little parts of the avatar movies come to life in what we're doing with the avatar x prize great thanks so much for chatting about the science fiction and science fact of avatar i'll look forward to the sequel not only for avatar the movie but also for avatar the x prize thanks for having us yeah thank thank you. you Thanks to Team Northeastern and Jackie Mori, and to the XPRIZE Foundation and Chloe Barr for setting up our podcast doubleheader. Avatar The Way of Water premieres at a theater near you on December 16th, and if the theater near you happens to be showing IMAX 3D movies, so much the better. For more about the evolution of avatars in science fiction and science fact, check out my blog item on CosmicLog.com. As promised, you'll find links to a couple of short essays by Jackie Mori, reflecting on the future of avatar technology. Thanks to James Emley for his rendition of the Fiction Science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science podcast, and feel free to give us a stellar rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or whatever your favorite podcast channel happens to be. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.